But as we're starting this series, we're going to be looking at what in the scriptures did Jesus do? See, in 1896, there was a book came out called In His Steps by Charles Sheldon. And this book was real popular for many years. And then it became real popular again in the mid to late 90s and early 2000s. And everybody bought these little uh, bracelets that said, what would Jesus do? Now, there's a problem there, though, is realistically, can we honestly answer that question? I mean, if we look in the scriptures, we don't know what Jesus would do in the 21st century. We don't know in every setting that comes up how he would respond. Now, we can look at different characteristics and different things about his life and maybe make some general assumptions But we can't know that. That question is really not answerable. Now, you know, you read the book and everybody comes down to a specific conclusion as to what God would have them to do. There's just one problem with that. It's a fictional book. So whatever the author wanted to come up with, he could come up with it. He could write, and it's not a bad book. It's a good book. If you ever have a chance to read it, sit down and read the book. But it's one of those things that we begin to to process and think through, how would Jesus respond in this situation? And there's some things from Scripture that we can't know how he would respond. We can get an idea from his character. So I really want us to sit and think through, not just how would he respond. I mean, let's think through the different things that we deal with. Worship styles. Would Jesus prefer us to be dressed casually and, and worship with a guitar and drums and a bass? Or would he prefer us to use an organ and a piano and use hymn books and wear suits and ties and dresses? Or would he prefer us to sing with no instruments, you know, and be all a cappella? I don't, we can't answer that question. There's really nothing in Scripture that says it. There's nothing in Scripture that says whether we should have a round table or a pulpit. You know, there's, it's just a matter of taste a lot of times. And so we, we go through this whole struggle, and then especially when you get into your job, you say, what would Jesus do in this situation? Well, Jesus wasn't a corporate lawyer, so I don't know what he would do in that situation. So let's begin to think through not what would Jesus do, but what did Jesus do? Now, with the what did Jesus do, can we have a standardized way of doing things? You know, is it possible to have a standardized way of doing things. That's what the what would Jesus do kind of gives them an impression is there's always an answer for the way we should do something. But I'm not sure that we can. I think when we think about standardized methods, then, then everything becomes case specific. Let me give you an example. Anybody here familiar with Saddleback Church in California? Rick Warren. Okay, Rick Warren, when he started Saddleback Church, he wore shorts and Hawaiian shirts. Why? Because he was in Southern California. And God began to move and he wrote purpose-driven life and purpose-driven church. And all of a sudden, every church was going to be a purpose-driven church. And so all of a sudden, all over the United States, from a little small town in East Texas to New York City, to California, to Alaska, everybody was wearing shorts and Hawaiian shirts. 
because it worked for Rick Warren, it should work for me. And, and everybody said, we're going to be exactly like Saddleback Church. You can't be exactly like Saddleback Church. Our little church in Texas that was in a small town, they tried to be like Saddleback. We couldn't be like Saddleback because we're a small church in a very country, I started to say another word, very country area of East Texas that if you wore a Hawaiian shirt, you kind of stood out in the crowd. You know, this was not, this was not a good thing. And so there's not this standardized method of how things go. People tried to follow Willow Creek. People tried to follow, you know, in the, the 70s and 80s, D. James Kennedy developed what was called evangelism explosion. So every church decided to use evangelism explosion because it worked at Coral Ridge Presbyterian. And so we, we look at these different things. So I don't want us to learn a method. I don't want us to try to sit and think through what's a specific method that we can take and apply to everybody. But I do want us to look at how did Jesus transition, how did Jesus develop 12, really 11 men who would turn the world upside down? Because he was only with them for a very short period of time, and he left a tremendous ministry with these 11 men that through the time that Jesus spent with them, most of the time they seemed pretty clueless. If you read through the Gospels, over and over again, Jesus says, this is what's going to happen, and they go, but what, what about this? And Jesus goes, don't, don't worry about that. This is what's going to happen. Okay, but, but, you know, I want to be first in the kingdom. No, no. And so over and over again, they don't seem to get it. Even after the resurrection, before the Holy Spirit comes, they don't get it. If you read in Acts chapter 1, what do they say? Well, are you going to restore the nation of Israel now? And Jesus is like, what part of this do you not get? Don't worry about all these end time things. This is your job. And so how did he do this? And so I think there's some ways, some things we can learn that Jesus did. In Acts 17, 6, this, this uh, passage comes up that says, bring, bring that up for me. Are we not moving? There we go. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Acts 17, this is, in Thessalonica, prior to, to Paul going to Athens, and he's there, and it's funny, the passage we use, and we, we read this English version, and we use that terminology, they turn the world upside down in a positive way. But that isn't what these people are saying. These people who are saying, everywhere these men have gone, they've stirred up trouble. They've gone and there have been riots, there have been people killed, there have been people thrown out of the city, you know, and now they're here. But the point is, by this point in time, just a mere 30 years at the most after Christ, they have made an impact in the world. So how did these 11 men, 12 adding Matthias, how did, how did they make this impact in the world when just a few years earlier they were totally clueless as to what they were supposed to do? And so I want us to begin to see. And I think as we begin to look at Jesus ministry to these people, we begin to see some things that are, that are across the board, standard ways of helping people to learn what they're called to do. And we're going to look at it by what did Jesus do to train these 11 men. I keep saying 11 because Judas didn't make it. But as we think through it, what was Jesus's purpose? What did Paul, I mean, what did Brian talk about last week? 
Anybody remember? Pop quiz. <laughs> Anybody remember? Somebody throw it out there. Or look it up on the podcast real quick. I'm going to wait till you find an answer, so just. I'm sorry? That's right. How small we are, how big God is. Jesus said in Act, I mean, in John 17, that he glorified God in what he had come to do. So what had he come to do? What was his purpose for being there? Well, what did others say about him? Let's look at a few passages. Luke 1, and, and that's the reason I want you to bring your Bible, because we're not going to put them up on the screen every week for you to find. And I may even call on you to, to do it. I'm not going to do it today, because I, I didn't warn you. But I will warn you that you may get called on. Now, next week we'll have five people here. Um, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So this God that we talked about last week that was reigning over all, the God who created everything, this big, huge God, the angel tells Mary, this is going to be the son of God and he's going to reign over all. So his purpose was to come to set up a reign. Then we go to the next passage, Luke 2, verses 8 through 11. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock. This is not a Christmas message, by the way. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A Savior. He's come to set up a kingdom and a reign. He's come to save What else are we told about him? Luke 2, and I'm not going to read the whole passage, beginning 25 through 35. You have both Zacharias and um, Anna. I'm wanting to say Anna. I'm thinking all of a sudden I've drawn a blank here. Simeon, not Simeon. Anyway, the priest and the priestess who say, I've been waiting all my life to see this, and now the salvation of Israel is here. And so we're, we're seeing why did Jesus come? He came to bring glory to God. He came to save. In 120, John one twenty nine, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He came to take away the sin of the world. And then actually this says Luke 9.30. It's supposed to be 9.20. I apologize. As I was reviewing it, I thought 9.30 makes no sense. Um, it's 9.20, which says, Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. Jesus came with a purpose. If we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, we see the beginnings of God's plan. And he tells Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. And through you, every nation in the earth will be blessed. And throughout Scripture, over and over again, we see this, this theme that through, through you, every nation on the earth 
will be blessed. And for a while, we see Israel kind of actually fulfilling this. We see people coming to Israel, like the Queen of Sheba and different ones who say, this is great, your God is magnificent. Then Israel kind of does the wrong thing and, and gets in trouble, and they're exiled. But even while they're exiled, we see a story of a man named Daniel. And we read the story, and we hear the story about Daniel being thrown in the den of lions. But what's key about that? Not that he survived the lion's den. It's that a Persian king who was a pagan recognizes and understands the glory of God because God rescues Daniel through that lion's den. And so we see over and over again, and then we have a tremendous passage in Galatians chapter 4. It says, at the right time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. At the right time. What made it the right time? I mean, couldn't it have happened earlier? Couldn't it happen later? Well, there's a lot of things that happened from the end of Malachi to the beginning of Matthew that we don't see in the scriptures, but we know historically that made it the right time. A guy named Alexander the Great conquered the known world at that time and made everybody speak Greek. So now not only do you have your own native language, now you speak Greek. For those of us who are old enough to remember, it wasn't too long ago that there were all these nations and countries that were part of what was called the United Socialist something Republic. USSR or Russia. See, today we talk about it still as Russia, meaning the whole thing. Russia is now just one of those countries. But you go to those countries and they all have their native language, but they all speak Russian too. But at the right time, God made it so that everyone spoke the same language and the Romans came in and built a system that made it safe to travel, made it easy to travel from one place to the next. You say, why is that the right time? Because the gospel was to go out. It was not to stay centered in Jerusalem. It was to go out. Now, it's easy for me to travel. It's easy for me to communicate. I travel a lot today, but I can't always communicate. I usually have to have a translator because I don't know the language. But if everyone spoke English, I'd be able to to communicate everywhere I go. And so here you could speak in Greek and you could travel the roads. It was safe. The timing was right. Jesus came now so that he could train these men to take the message to the world. Again, to go back to Genesis 12, to bless every nation. You say, well, wait, is that going to happen? You look at Revelation. People from every tribe, tongue, people and nation will be there. So God does fulfill his purpose. But that's what everybody else said about Jesus. What does he say about himself? In Luke chapter 4, Jesus says this. He gets up and he reads from the book of Isaiah. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Ooh, hey. Um, And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He says, this this person you're talking about, that's me. Luke 4.43. What does Jesus say about himself? I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns 
as well as for, I mean, as well, for this is why I was sent, to proclaim the good news. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So over and over again, Jesus and others testify as to why he is here. Why did he come? Now, we talk about he came to save me from my sins. And we sing, uh, above all. Anybody ever, ever sang that song? That song is not biblical. I'm sorry. But to think that Jesus on the cross was thinking about me is pretty self-centered. Did he die for my sins? Yes, but it's more than that. He died to bring God glory and to make it so that the message goes to all people of all nations. He died to bring salvation for mankind. He died to seek and to save that which was lost. So how is he going to do this with these 11 men who seem pretty clueless? There needed to be a plan. Now, in this plan, we don't see in the Gospels Jesus say, okay, this is step one. And we're going to do this for a little while, then we're going to move to step two. And, and you know, nowhere does he tell people what he's doing. How many of you here, and this is, have children? Okay, do you have a plan? I mean, sort of, right? You sort of do. It doesn't ever work out, but you sort of do. But, but the reality is there's, there's certain transitions in their life that you know are going to come and you know are you're going to have to deal with. I did youth ministry for nine years. And it is amazing to me how many parents, when their children turned 12, came to me with the look of deer caught in the headlights. They said, this wonderful, beautiful child that I have has become a demon all of a sudden. What am I supposed to do with them? And I said, just don't kill them between now and 18 and you'll be all right. Okay, that's kind of the basic philosophy. But, but the idea here is there's these transitions that happen that you've got to know how to deal with. And there are transitions that happen in Jesus' ministry with the disciples that we can see clear ways that he dealt with them differently than he did from one day to the next. He makes changes in, these, in the way he deals with them. The first one is in John chapter 1. John chapter 1, there's, there's two different things that are said here. And I won't read the whole passage, but in John chapter 1, John the Baptist has two disciples who he points over and he says, there's Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so they go to Jesus and they say, hey, what's going on? Where are you staying? What can we learn from you? And he says this, come and see. Come and see. Then one of them runs to get a friend of his and says, hey, I think we may have found the Messiah. And the guy says, well, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. There's no way. And he says, hey, just come and see. This is really what we would term today evangelism. These are men who don't know Jesus, who are now transitioning to knowing him. He's saying, just, just come and see. Come learn about me. Come, come know what it's like. Now, we always picture this, that all 12 of the disciples were there at this time. No, there's only five of them there. Five men follow Jesus at this point in time. But he says, come and see. And they go and they tell others about this. So there's this transition. It's sort of like the idea that 
when you first have your child. There's that birthing of that child. There's that transition period of them, you learning what that means, them learning what that means kind of thing. But then we see a second transition. In Matthew chapter 4, this is the passage that we always quote that these disciples were just fishing one day. Some guy they'd never met just shows up and says, follow me. They drop everything, follow him for the rest of their lives. We go, isn't that exciting? You should do that too. Well, that's not biblical. First off, three out of the four men that are there are three of the five that were there earlier. So they've known Jesus now for about a year. This is about a year later. Jesus comes to them and says, come follow me. He says, this, I'm going to make you fishers of men. In reality, they follow him, but this is not a time where they leave everything and that's it, and they just go decide to live with him. They follow him, but then they go back to fishing. They're following him, they're learning more and more about him, but they're still going back to fishing. So they're, they're building, they're growing in this, but he's saying, not just come and see, but follow me. And so they're beginning to learn a little bit more as to what that means. Still, there's not 12 of them at this point in time that are at least are named. It's probably, probable that these guys are starting to reach out to their friends because we'll see in the next transition, there are thousands of people following Jesus. So these guys are at least going out and doing the come and see. Hey, come check this out. And they're bringing all their buddies and their friends who are going to come follow Jesus. But then we come to Mark chapter 3. In Mark chapter 3, it says that Jesus spent a whole night in prayer. And he came back down from the mountain and he chose 12 men. Out of all these people who were following, he chose 12. And what does it say that he chose them to do? To be with him. He chose 12 men and he said, okay, these are the 12 guys that are going to live with me, follow me, we're going to hang out together 24-7. This happened about a year and a half into his ministry. So really... These guys only lived with Jesus for about a year and a half, not three years like we normally assume because we we take everything to say that's when it started. So for about a year and a half, these men lived with Jesus. They saw everything he did. When I first started in youth ministry, we used to have a thing. I don't know if you remember doing this, but when I was a teenager, you know, we'd go to Six Flags. So you'd go at 10 in the morning, you'd stay till midnight, you drive back to the church, and because it was not a spiritual thing that we did by going to Six Flags, you had to have a devotional at midnight when you got back to the church. Right? You know? And everybody's going, and why are we doing this? And you don't remember. But so that you could justify going to Six Flags, you had to have a devotional at the end, right? Well, when I started doing youth ministry, I said, guys, I'm sorry, but maybe it's just me, but I'm not going to do a devotional at the end of Six Flags. But my point on that is, I want my teenagers to see that at Six Flags, I don't act any differently than I do at church. I want them to be with me and see me in every setting. I want to, if I'm going to run to the store one day to call one of the guys and say, hey, can you come hang out with me? We're going to go do some shopping for the church. Just be with me. And so I think that's where we begin to understand that that these guys are seeing Jesus in every setting. They see Jesus when he's tired, when he's hungry, when he's asleep in a boat while the the storm's raging around him. 
They see that he's consistent in who he says he is. And he lives it out. And then the last transition we see with them in John 20, 21, he says, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. Now let's just think about this for a minute. Because we give the disciples a hard time, and, and I think maybe justifiably in some ways, but you've, you've gone from follow, some of them following John the Baptist to now they're following this Jesus guy. They've seen him do some things that are just exciting. They've seen him do some things that are a little scary. He's now telling them, look, you know, in the next couple of days, we're going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to arrest me. They're going to crucify me. Three days later, we're going to rise again. But as the Father sent me, so send I you. Now, remember, they've not quite gotten it yet. And so they're thinking, what does that mean? So send I you. What, what's this going to look like? How are we going to accomplish this? What are we going to do? And so as we begin to look in these next few weeks at these transitions and the ways that Jesus developed these men, I think there's things that we can learn and we can do on a regular basis here. Now this first one, as we begin next week, to talk about this idea of come and see. I want us to understand some things here as a church. Because we started this church two and a half years ago with the idea that we were going to be in the city and for the city and we were going to make an impact in West Columbia. And we've done a lot of things for the city. We've we've made some impact. We got a notice from South Congaree saying they're thankful for what we've done. But if... All we do as a church is build wheelchair ramps and clean people's yards. Then we're not here for the right reason. We can do those things. And I want us to continue to do those things. But most of the yards we clean are going to be dirty again in a month. We need to be on purpose talking to people about Christ. Now, is that scary Yeah, it can be. It can be intimidating. But that's what God's called us to West Columbia to do, to make an impact in West Columbia more than just cleaning yards and building wheelchair ramps. And more than having a service on Sunday mornings. It's easy to focus on this. To focus on getting the music right, to setting everything up, to having a good place to meet, to all these different things for Sunday morning. But when Jesus came, he didn't come to say, I came to make it so that you can have a nice place to meet on Sunday morning. He said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, I know, I've I've already said, you need to start bringing your Bible next week. I may call on you. And now we're talking about doing evangelism. It'll be three of us here next week. I know. But, But I'm serious. This, it's not as hard as you think it is. We, we think that we have this in our mindset that says, every time I talk to somebody about the Lord, I've got to go through the whole plan of salvation. If they don't come to know the Lord, I've failed. And that's not evangelism. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about opportunities to talk to people about Jesus, what He's done in our life, and how He can change their lives. 
And sometimes that means we carry them to the end point. Sometimes it means we just plant a seed. I'll be honest with you. I am not an evangelist. I do it. I talk to people about the Lord, but I can talk to somebody about the Lord for 10 years. And they look at me like I've lost my mind. And Bill Jones, who's my boss, will talk to him one time and they, they surrender to Christ. I go, you didn't say anything different than I've been saying for 10 years. But he's an evangelist. God moves through him in that way. But you say, well, I'm not an evangelist, so I'm not supposed to do it. That's not what the Scripture says. Jesus didn't say, so send I you who are evangelists. He says, so send I you to all of them. And so we need to understand that God's calling us to do this. And we're hopefully going to, in the next few weeks, learn some ways to do it. Learn some ways to make an impact in this community. That's why I want you to bring your Bible, because I don't want you to think it's just a program and it's something that Wade says. I want us to see that this is what Jesus did This is how he trained his disciples to do it so that 30 years later he could say they have turned the world upside down. Because I believe I wouldn't have jumped on board with this church if I didn't believe it. I believe we can make an impact in West Columbia. I believe we can see people come to know Christ, grow in their relationship with the Lord, and begin to make even more of an impact in West Columbia. But if we only focus on this time on Sunday mornings, we're not going to do it. That's what God's called us to be and do. To be in this city for this city. And so we're called to make that that difference. And so how do we do it? We're going to learn from Jesus how he did it. Not a pattern, not a formula Not a, what would Jesus do? And let's get, you know, all of our different t-shirts and different things that talk about Jesus so people come and ask us about him. I remember back in the 80s, I know I'm dating myself. I'll date myself just by saying the name Anita Bryant. Nobody even knows who Anita Bryant is. But she was a a former Miss America. And she came to know the Lord and she was making all the circuit on the TV about her relationship with the Lord. And she developed something that... It was a sunglasses that had a little fish or a cross down here in the corner. Now, I don't know about any of you else who wear glasses. That would, I would be staring at that constantly uh, if it was there. I'd be trying to wipe it off. And, but what she called it was, now get this, she called them silent witness sunglasses. Silent witness sunglasses. Now, Brian's not here today. But I can guarantee you, Brian, when he has somebody in court, he doesn't want a silent witness. He wants somebody who's going to talk, who's going to tell him what they saw. And so we went from the little fish and and cross on our glasses to T-shirts. You know, and I've worn Christian T-shirts. I don't mind Christian T-shirts. But I have never had anybody come up to me and say, can you tell me about Jesus because I read your shirt? Never. They read your shirt, they look at you like you've lost your mind, and they move on. You know? And so, it's not being silent witnesses. It's not having the right lingo. It's not having the right bracelets or the right t-shirts. It's, it's just loving on people. 
It's being real with people. Because that's what we think of evangelist. I know already in your mind, you're thinking pompadour and a, and a big suit, you know, and, and lots of jewelry. And, and it, they talk to you like this when they're talking to you, but then they preach like this. And it becomes, you know, no. We're just being real with people. We're allowing people to see our lives, to see sometimes when we struggle, but we trust the Lord. Sometimes when things aren't going perfectly for us, but we trust the Lord. It's not being fake. It's not acting like God answers all of our questions and deals with all of our problems and and makes life easy for us. It's being real about who Jesus is and what he's come to do. And we're going to learn in these next few weeks how to do that in our lives and how to help other people do it too. Let's pray.